This is Ray Houghton, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Fulham Focus Podcast. My name is Jay Mack, your host. <clears throat> what a ball of fire that game was. End-to-end rock and roll stuff, hardly. More of a battle against 11 men behind the ball with an uninspired attack from us until our Trojan Josh Onoma horse finally managed to get us the win. We are fourth. With me to talk about this electric game are Senor Matthew Statoata and Matthew Reese Baldo Baldwin. Buckle up and away we go! Fulham. All right, lads, we were about one minute away, maybe just less, from calling this a terrible game and a terrible result. But how much can we let Josh's goal paper over the cracks? It was an absolute dishwater game, wasn't it? What are your opening thoughts, Mr. Stato? Hello, everybody. Yeah, the game itself, it wasn't a good game at all. I know we scored in the 96th minute, I think it was, which is great. Everyone loves a 96th minute goal. But when it's a terrible game like that and when we play terribly... It's it's good, but you know, it's not great. I mean, you say we're one minute away from it being a terrible game. It could still be a terrible game, even if we man- even if we managed to win it. That's um, true. So, so yeah, it was absolutely one of the one of the worst games that I have when it comes to Fulham. I was thinking back to the this is going to throw some people off the Charlton game in the two thousand and four five season. The nil nil was the worst game that I'd ever seen. However, this game probably again was thirty seconds away from taking that title. You can tell the game was bad because I think everyone was sort of looking at each other with anticipation that we were about to break a record, that it was the first nil-nil at the Cottage since 2011 against Aston Villa. Fortunately, that didn't happen, which is a good thing. Like we've all said already, that doesn't excuse the poor performance, especially against a Birmingham team that have come off the back of two 3-0 losses or they've conceded three goals in the last two games since the restart. And haven't won a game in nine matches, is that right? Yeah, they're a team who are clearly on like on the slide going down. Like, I think they're just about safe, safe from relegation now, but you know they're not a great outfit. I mean, we could talk about the lineup, I suppose. Unchanged four two three one. There was a bit of false hope with Stanfield potentially being on the bench because he had an Instagram post and then it went down again. I don't know if he was in trouble for that. Right to keep the same formula, would you say, Mister Reese? I was going to say, if you want to keep this podcast exciting, we should just skip to the Onomah goal. We can just ignore everything everything that's happened. Talk about the Onomah goal and then, move, and then move straight on to the Nottingham Forest preview. But I'm well, pretty we'll sure that won't, be, yeah, that won't be very entertaining for the listeners, I'm sure. You know, I can understand keeping an unchanged starting 11. I think it's really the bench that has been sort of causing a lot of confusion, a lot of angst and pessimism amongst the amongst the fans because there's no real attacking option there. You know, we've been crying out for someone like Kamara, for instance. We still don't know what's going on with him. Substitute bench still needs a lot of work, in my view. For the stat heads out there, I can let you know that the back four that we played, that's the fourth time they've played together. And remarkably, they've had three wins out of the four times they've played together. For the <laughs> midfield, they've played five times together, that the kearney reed Arta combination, and that's yielded two wins. And I think what's quite interesting, in the absence of Mitrovic... Going for the Bobby Kavnoka option, they've played those front three for three times and that's actually managed to get three wins, a 100% record. So take from that what you will. 
God, someone put a fire extinguisher on him. That's just, that's just, that's just, that is just, that is electrical static there, mate. Well so, what you're saying, so, what you're saying, Mr. Arta, is that Alexander Mitrovic has been holding us back all this time. We should have sold it, it him and Bobby Reed up front. We'd have yeah. won every single game. Let's play, long, yeah, let's play more long balls to Bobby Reed. That was great. Let's just keep doing that. <laughs> Bloody hell. All right. So, let's talk about the match highlights. Okay. Let's start with. Well, I mean, it could have been 2-0 at the start. In the second minute, Hector loses the ball, and it's a terrible pass to Rodak, and Italy gets Birmingham a goal. And then in the three minutes, in knockout, he did this a couple of times the game. He decided that he wanted to be a, a second fullback on the right, and it made a terrible pass. Ended up going straight to Jude Bellingham. Could have been 2-0 at the start of this game, and there was a few errors from Hector. My only theory behind this was that they practiced all week thinking that a less mobile forward um, in Lukas Jukovic was going to be the man up top for them. So they were saying, oh, we can pass along the back. It's fine. We, you know, No one's going to be chasing us down because Jukovic doesn't possess all that amount of pace. And then when it's Scott Hogan, who's actually going to you know run at you and press you a little bit more, it sort of pushes them off again. That's my only rationale for thinking because Michael Hector has not been the same since this all restart. Well, Hector also had a terrible error in the 13th minute. He was beaten too easily for a cross and it ended up in a very hairy moment in our own box. Stato, your thoughts on Hector? In defence of Hector, he's a very good defender and it was very good when he came in because at the time we thought our defence was a bit all over the place. We're playing Mawson and Ream, who wasn't the worst pairing in the world. We were getting wins, but you know there's still that kind of lack of authority in our defence and then Hexer came in and we thought that was solved and everything was was great and wonderful and obviously the restarts had an effect on that but you know I think almost it's kind of like the honeymoon period for Hector's over now and he's not going to have a good game every single game and we need to be accepting of that but he's still a very good defender he still had a good game he still kept a clean sheet but it is getting a bit more noticeable that a few more mistakes from him are creeping in and kind of need him to iron that those out, to be honest. Yeah, and I thought Reem had a good game. Compared to the other few games, I thought Reem was stronger this match. From the defence to the attack, lacking so much flu- fluidity, not just the first half, but the second. And we did get better, arguably. But there were just so many one-twos that just kept on failing. Like I said, long balls to Bobby Reed up front. Knockout had his back to their goal most of the time, made no runs. Cav had lots of bad touches. And I think the only cross he made was in the fifth minute. Just the front three is non-existent to me at the moment. Obviously, Mitro's not there, but just no shots on target in the first half, and I want to know why. This brings me back to sort of the point that Matt Arter was making. This is the third time that we've played this front three. Am I correct? Did I mishear that? You are correct. The second yeah, the, time the was third... last game. There we go. So this is only the third time they've played together, the second time on, on Tuesday against QPR. Is it just a case that they're still trying to get used to each other? Is that that again? That's my only that's my only theory behind it. Is they've been so used to having Mitrovic to play off, but now this run three is still quite new. That's my way of thinking. Or is it that Birmingham eleven men behind the ball most of the time look for counter attack, long throw ins? I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. It's interesting what Baldo said there that the front three haven't clicked, they haven't played together that often, but. In fact, they have kind of played together. So if Bobby's not in attack, he's in midfield. Obviously, there's not Mitro there as the, fo- as the focal point. There's no one they can kind of turn to going forward. But then I need to question the coaching and Parker's tactics. If you're aware that Mitrovic isn't going to be available, then why do you play the same tactics of lump- lumping the ball forward? Surely you play a different system. You look for the shorter passes. You look at playing it to feet to Bobby Reed. You look down the flanks, potentially. 
you just look to do something different rather than just play the same system we play with Mitrovic, but with Bobby Reed, who's like half the body mass of Mitrovic. It just it didn't make sense. And you know, we, mm. we can be harsh on the we can be harsh on the front three, but it's not their fault that they're getting told to play in a way that doesn't really suit them. Okay, so that was the end of the first half. I mean, really uninspiring, no shots on target, awful stuff. And then the second half, we bring Joe Bryan on, and we did look a bit better. I mean, not hugely, but we slowly breathed into it a lot easier with Joe Bryan on the pitch. And what were your thoughts, I mean, on Joe Bryan coming on? I think it was a sensible move from Parker. I know throughout the season, he's been a bit reluctant to play both Christie and Bryan because they're both kind of attacking-minded fullbacks. So if both go forward, we can be exposed down the wings quite easily, yes. which is why we always have Odoi playing either left back or right back. And, you know, it, it was good from Parker to sense that Birmingham were just sitting back and defending so we can take that risk and bring on two attacking fullbacks. I thought mm. when Brian came on, he put in a few good crosses. He, you know, there, there was some good service there. It doesn't excuse the fact the game was still quite slow and quite drab and we weren't kind of getting those passes together like we usually would. But it was a positive change, but it's still didn't change things massively. You were mentioning about Birmingham. They're obviously very defensive this match. Reese, do you think Tom Kearney had a better game this game? He looked a little bit more free than most times he's played recently, would you say? Yeah, he had his moments. There's a chance later on where he did incredibly well down. It was our left-hand side and then just completely did everything. He did everything right and then just for some reason scooped the ball. Uh, oh, he gave it to Cyrus Christie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, but exactly. He, he nutmegged the defender in the 82nd minute and then gave it to Christie. And Christie, he should have taken a shot. You're right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was an improvement. It's not quite to the levels of Tom Kearney that we've come to love and expect, you know, with the uh, shots and 25, 30 yards. Something I still, I'm wondering why that's more or less gone from his game. It, because everyone else is fucking doing it. I mean, Knockart is just, I mean, he just keeps on taking shots from so far out. It feels like we only take shots from outside the box these days. Kearney, since the restart, has just looked invisible on the pitch. Um, he, he's normally quite an influential player. He plays his key passes. But I saw none of that. The, the only glimpse we got was, as you mentioned, when you took on those players, you nutmegged them, got into the box, mm. and then with a really poor end product. I don't know what's wrong with that. I don't know if he's low on confidence. It's just Something just doesn't seem right there. And I can't quite put my finger on it yet. Maybe it's a midfield synergy problem. I mean, in the 61st minute, you have Josh Onema come on for Harry Arter, which obviously long-term was the right decision. What does Harry Arter do apart from fall over, shout and foul people? To his credit, he he does kind of put himself about. He puts the tackles in. And oddly enough, going back to Kearney quickly, he's kind of playing in a more advanced role than Kearney is at times, which doesn't yeah. really make sense. It's kind of like the Steph Joe that we had a few seasons ago, but like kind of an uncut, rough version of him that is just more unpredictable. He seems all over the pitch at some point. All right, so Josh comes on for Harry Arter. Still nothing. 69th minute, more attempts to break the wall down. Cabano comes on for Cavallero. Still nothing. Although I've got to say, I thought Cabano looked a lot better than Cavallero as soon as he came on. 74th minute, more crap shots from Knockout after a terrific Brian Cross. He hits the side netting. Still just can't get anything on target. And then the 82nd minute, we had the Kearney nutmeg thing, which you've spoken about. 86th minute. I think this was the the red miss moment for all of us this game. The double save made by their goalkeeper. Up until this point was the highlight of the match, which I think tells you everything (laughs) you need to know. If we hadn't have won the game, it's what we would have looked back on and been even angrier about, isn't it? Exactly. But it goes back to what I've said. What, What happened? It was Joe Bryan taking a shot for about 25, 30 yards. 
you never know what's going to happen. And as it happened, Lee Camp, who I thought you know, throughout the game was looking incredibly flaky. He was dropping a few passes. Again, you just never know what's going to happen. So you do that. And then Bobby Reed's there to um, there to follow up. He should have done better. I mean, I want to give some credit to Lee Camp. It was a very good save. But at that same stage, you should expect someone of Bobby Reed, who's got a... Who's, it's not as if it's Alfie Mawson following the ball in, for instance. You you can give a defender a little bit of you know, a little bit of leeway that because it's not his job. But someone like Bobby Reed, you would expect him to finish that to finish that thing off. It's nearly he's a nearly man. In any other thing, yeah. you would expect him to score that goal, but for him, for some reason, he just can't do it. We've established this season that he's not an out and out striker, and he's kind yeah. of been forced to having to play as this lone striker role in the absence of Mitrovic and in the absence of Kamara, wherever Kamara may be. It was a fantastic save, and if you see where the ball dropped to Reed, there was a very small gap between Camp and him. So all Lee Camp had to do was make himself look big, and chances are he would have got something on it. He's the nearly man because for another player like Mitrovic, it could have been a case where. The keeper gets a touch, but it still kind of ricochets in somehow. And for mm. Bobby Reed, it just it just doesn't. And he's he's unlucky and he's low on confidence. And I guess just when it goes against you, it, it does go against you. And yes. we can only hope that you know his luck and fortunes turn around sooner rather than later for us. Well, we always said that Bobby Reed just needs a goal. It turns out that he might need about three or four for him to actually start rolling this machine with Fulham. But I, I don't see it, I don't think it's gonna happen to be honest. Okay, so in the 86th minute, you've got Jasper who comes on for Notcart. I've mentioned Notcart briefly. A terrible game for him? I mean, apparently this new permanent contract, which we haven't spoken about on Fulham Focus yet, the new permanent contract for Notcart does not look too fun for us, really, with these performances that Notcart keeps dishing out. What would you say to that, Mr. Reese? Yeah, the fact that it hasn't been signed yet, has it? It's one of these <laughs> we're going to there's sign still it, time. Which, there's, still, yeah, yeah. there's still time to there's still time to back out of it. Yeah, um, yeah. Knockhart has been like today. I didn't think he was you no know, all that bad. You know, of the two wingers, Caviar and Knockhart, for large parts of this season, I think it's undisputable that Caviar has been the better winger of the two. But today, I didn't think he had all that bad a game, all things considered. He was one of the few people that actually managed to get a shot on target. So he gets, I think it was our first shot on target he managed to get. So it's just a case of getting the inconsistencies out of his game. And then we'll work out whether the 10 million fee is going to be anywhere near worth it. If we had the choice of backing out of the deal at this stage, I probably would say yes, in my view. Save the 10 million pounds and you know put it elsewhere. Maybe from someone dropping out of the Premier League. I don't know. But he just plays like a sort of creative midfielder that happens to be on the wing. I know he's meant to cut in, but I just sometimes just want to scream him. Just just run towards the byline, mate. Put a cross in. The way you mentioned how he's just on his left foot and he cuts in, he's basically a bit like a B-Tech Iron Robin, really, but with no end product, which is a shame. Like Baldwin said, I don't think he had a bad game. and I don't think he's actually had a particularly bad game since the restart. It's just that he gets a lot of the ball and he wastes it a lot of the time. But... You know, he's still energetic, he's still passionate, he still tries to win the ball back, he tries to do something with it. And it just feels like the rest of the team just aren't on the same wavelength as him. Not that he's on a better wavelength, they're just they're just not syncing up to him. In regards to the contract, the fact is that our bitter rivals, Brentford, have managed to sign their attacking trio of Benarama, Imbueno and Ollie Watkins, all three of them for the same price. And mm. they are much better value for money than what we're getting for Knockout and what we'll get for Knockout when we sign him on a permanent. And mm. 
it does make Indeed. a question is is it worth it Brentford, who have just smashed Wigan three 0 today, poor old Wigan. Uh, just oh dear, it's going to happen, isn't it? I think I honestly do think Brentford are going to go unbeaten. They've got such juice in them now. 89th minute. I think Birmingham are actually holding on for dear life now. The chances are slowly coming. We're completely in their own half. The majority for the rest of this game. Tom Kenny gets a free kick. It hits the wall. Goes out for a corner, and we do nothing of that either. And then in the 94th minute, finally, we get it. Josh Onimer gets a nice pass from Harrison Reed. Reese, talk to me about this goal. Yeah, it was one of the more aesthetically pleasing goals I think we've scored this season. The way we played it down that right-hand side, nice intricate passing, and then it was one touch, two one-touch passes, I think, to finish to finish the move off. It was very, very, very good, it must be said. I don't know whether this is a case of, you know, Birmingham City were very tired legs after us huffing and puffing for so long, trying to blow their doors down. One of the better goals we've scored this season, and couldn't have come at a couldn't have come at a better time. We've talked about Bobby Reed a lot in this podcast and kind of his downfall and what he's lacking. But what we need to say is that he is fantastic at kind of creating chances, and this was the case here. You see him down the right, his little his little turn, his little shimmy to get the pass into Harrison Reed. That was fantastic play, and that's what he's good at, and that's what we'd like to see more of from him. And then Onoma, where his positioning is, he's kind of in the position you'd expect. Tom Kearney to be in or the Kearney of a few seasons ago to be in just in that kind of advanced position near the edge of the box hanging by waiting for that ball to come out to him great position by Onomai it was just a nice little finish really really nice finish and it was just nice to see him get a goal after not being started these recent games I mean that's surely got to be him starting now would you start him for the next game Stata? About 100% I think yeah. there's been a lot of like, like we've mentioned how Kearney has been very invisible lately I would consider starting him in that Kearney position, in that advanced role, because I know Parker likes to play in there. Play yes. in there, give give Kearney a rest. And honestly, I, I don't know what's the worst that could happen. Well, what are your thoughts, Reese? What is the worst that can happen? Over to you. What is the worst? I think it's, I was thinking this to myself literally just after the final whistle. It's a case of trial by error in this sense. You know, if you score a goal, then you must be in the team straight away. It's, it happened for Cyrus Christie. He managed yeah, to score the goal in midweek. He gets to start the next game. Josh Onma scores a goal this game. He gets then he's going to start in midweek against Forest. So and Harry Arter scores against QPR. And there's no way he's being dropped. You know it's exactly. Like, it, yeah. it, it's it's faultless logic. It's it's like Garth Brooks. <laughs> it's like Garth Brooks's uh, team of the week for BBC. If you score a goal, you're automatically in. Is the way his logic seems to work. It's the same logic here with Scott Parker. So I would I would definitely expect Josh Onma to start uh, against Forest in midweek. Well, let's talk more about the logic of Scott Parker. Let's go on to Scott Parker's rating from you, Mr. Stato. What number would you give him for this? Oh, it's a tough one this week. Um, it is weird, isn't it? It's a really tough it's, one. It's, because... it's weird because we, I, was, I was ready to come on this pod and just slag him off probably, saying he's yeah. getting things wrong, it's not going great. And that was the yeah. case. But mm. yet we've won. We've put the win. And mm. it's tough. And he bought one of them along, which is a good move. I guess I know a five out of ten sounds about the sounds about right because amongst all this kind of anger at Parker and the frustration of how boring we're playing, we still do need to bear in mind that we are without our main man in Mitrovic, and we are yes. still chipping away and getting wins, and that's that's kind of the important thing, isn't it? I think fives probably is just about right. I, I just I look at players like Cavalera and I just feel like there's no way you're this bad. There's no way you're this bad. Knocker, I was like, there's no way you should be this ineffective. I think Scott Parker is probably a very likable guy and probably a good coach somewhere or other, but I just don't think he is actually particularly inspiring uh, for these players to actually want. Just maybe he's just not got the attacking mind for it. I'm not too sure. Reese, what would you give Scott Parker? 
I'm not going to fall into the trap of giving him a higher score just because of the fact, just because of the fact that we won. Very much like Good. Usual Suspect. It's a bit of a mere film, but a great ending. Don't make that change the fact it's a mere film just because the ending's very good. So mm-hmm. I'm going to say a four. Don't let the late goal fool you. It was a so, very dire performance. And I don't think he gets any praise for bringing Onimar on because it wasn't like this great thing that we were all demanding him to do. It was just a run-of-the-motion substitution. So he gets he gets no credit for that either. So it's a four. A four. So paper over the cracks for you then. Well, speaking of crack, we'll find out what the crack is for Nottingham Forest, which is a huge game on Tuesday night, straight after this. Fulham. Don't smoke crack. And welcome back. So Nottingham Forest, Tuesday night, huge game. We have an opportunity here to finally beat two teams in the top six. We got a lot of stats here, but that's why we have Mr. Stato Arta. So over to you, Stato. Give us your Nottingham Forest breakdown. So what I've done here, I wanted to look at how Forest were getting on before the restart. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, back in March, it was a very different landscape to where we are now. It's actually a bit of a shame we're not playing them when we normally should have played them. Because at the time, since 2020, they had only won five out of the 13 games they had played in the league. And they were actually riddled and plagued with injuries. They had players like Lewis Graben, Joe Lolly, and Sam Purcell, three of their key players. They were nursing minor injuries. They were playing, but they were not fully fit at all. I read an article, remember, at the time back in March, that only 10 senior players were reported to be training at one point in March for them. And they were literally just wrapping them up in cotton wool, keeping them in the fridge until match days. They were struggling and they, they could have very easily fallen out of the playoffs. And I think mm. had we played them then, it could have been a good result for us. However, there was a pause and we have restarted and months have passed, which means that there's been time for all these players to recover from injuries. And I think Forrest are one of the big winners of this restart because they've had that time to recover and almost yeah, have a mini pre-season. They're one of the teams that we feared would benefit, basically. And the results kind of show that. they, you know, In the four games that they've played, they haven't lost any. They've won two and drawn two, almost won three, but not for Chris Martin in the 91st minute earlier on. Chrissy. They, they've, uh, they've managed to score six in, those, in that time and concede three in those four games. Interestingly enough, the three goals that they've conceded have all come in stoppage time since the restart. So if we're looking to score a goal, it's going to be a repeat of what happened against Birmingham today. And also mm. a bit of a, a bit of a little omen here, but the last three opponents they've played, there have been a red card for these opponents against Forest. It looks like they're very much on course to finish in the playoffs by the look of things. Whoever wins out of us and Forest, they'll still kind of have that sniff or outside chance of getting the automatics, whereas the loser will kind of be resigned to thinking it's the playoffs now. I think as Fulham fans, we all think we're going to be in the playoffs now. I don't think there's many Fulham fans that think we can get automatics. If we lose this game, then I think they'll just put that nail in the coffin that, yeah, it's playoffs at best for us this year. And How many times have we said that, though? Oh, well, that's the automatics gone. Oh, no, no, it's not. Oh, that's your... Yeah, we've done this so yeah. many times. We said La- Leeds was the last chance saloon, but this is kind of past the last chance saloon. This is the very mm. last chance saloon. So last chance saloon then, Reese. What players would you be looking out for in this game? Players I really want to look out for and sort of focus on are Ben Watson and Samba Sow, who are there to holding midfielders as it's like to be in a 4-2-3-1 formation for them. And I think touching on what we were saying with Josh Onema earlier and thinking that he's likely uh, or should really start the game, I think if we can get that pace in midfield, because Samba Sao is 31 and Ben Motton is either 34 or 35, Nottingham Forest are going to be lacking pace in front of their back four. So I think if we can exploit it and run at them with the likes of Onema and Harrison Reed, I think there's a chance for us to overwhelm them. 
So it, so Sam Sam Ben was of solid defensive players. They lead the team. They lead the team in tackles. I think it's, I was reading the stat the other day. If we can just deal with them with a little bit of pace, I think there's a chance for us to do well. Stato, what players do you should be keeping our eye on? I'm going to pick the obvious one here, and that is, of course, their talisman, Lewis Graben. He's 32 now, but he's been in the championship for God knows how many years, and he just performs for whatever club he's at. He just scores goals. It's what he does. He's shown this because he's actually got 19 goals this year. That's put him third behind Ollie Watkins and Mitrovic. And three of them have come since the restart, so he's not. there's no signs of, signs of him slowing down. It'll be interesting to see what attacking players they play behind him whether it be Joe Lolly, Sammy Amiobi or Thiago Silva, all three. And it'll be interesting to see how our defence and midfield will cope with them. Joe Lolly, I'm a big fan of. I mean, since Jared Bowen's left, I haven't got anyone to sort of uh, <laughs> sort of like talk about all the time, my favourite right winger of the championship. But Joe Lolly has always been very good. And he scored one of the goals today, didn't he? He did indeed. And I think he has scored two or three since the restart and has nine goals overall this season. He's a left footer playing out on the right wing, likes to cut side and then shoot and then shoot across the goal. You know, Gareth Bale, mm. Iron Robin, you know that sort of player. He's basically that, but just a lot worse. Very good championship player. He has a lot of assists, doesn't he? He does like to cross the ball too, is that right? He's on he's on seven assists so far. He's basically a good Anthony knockup. Not to not knock him, <laughs> but well, this no, but that's just. I mean, honestly, that's. I've been crying out for us to buy Joe Lolly. Hopefully for next season, if we stay down, but we might be in the Premier League. Who knows? I think the only other thing to point out: Nottingham Forest have a lot of connections to Jorge Mendes, who's a super agent. He represents Ronaldo and various other players. So that's like Wolves as well, then. A bit like Wolves, yeah. I think I think Mendes has got ties to Wolves as well. So I think. Forced a bit like a, they're a bit like a mini wolves at the moment, and it shows because they have a very large Portuguese contingent. They've got players like Thiago Silva, Tobias Figueiredo, João Carvalho, Alfa Semedo, large amount of Portuguese players. If they don't go out this year, they'll be a big threat next year and for seasons to come if they stay with Lamucci and they stay with the current system they have. I'll just quickly ask you about the lineup that we should impose. So we are agreed that we think maybe we like the idea of Reed, Arta and Onoma as a sort of number 10. Nokar, I mean, what would you do with the front three? Would you keep it as it was, Stata? We have no choice but to. I think the only thing we can consider to look at is potentially Cabano coming in. And mm. he's, he's always been just a good squad player to have in the championship. But... Cavallero has looked quite off the pace since coming back and he started on the bench since the restart so I think maybe he might have a little knock or something he might not be fully fit so I think Cabano could be worth a start it would have to be Bobby Reid up top unless Kamara comes back midfield wise I think Onoma has to start and I think we're also getting to the point in this restart we were aware that there's a lot of playing every two and three, two to three days. And we're kind of getting to that point now. I think we played three games in a week now. And I'd love to see Harrison Reed start every game. I'm not sure if he, if he if he would be fit enough to. I'd love to think he would be, but if he's not, now might be a time to think of a bit of rotation if needed. If players aren't fully fit, maybe bring in Stefan Johansson, maybe bring in McDonald. And I think particularly, as, as Baldo mentioned, um, with Sambaso and Watson, having a player like Steph Joe in there, who has a bit more pace and a bit more to him, that could really help us against them. So time to use our central midfield depth on the bench, basically, is what you're saying, yeah. For the defence, Bordeaux, would you change anything? Or would you have Joe Bryan start this game or keep it to Cyrus and Odoi as the fullbacks? I was going to say don't change your winning formula, but, <laughs> which, but which way do you start? Because it really, really kicked off when Joe Bryan was playing at left-back in the second half. So, yeah, yeah logic would, would dictate you start with Joe Bryan. 
I think so. Right. I, so I say I stay go with him. So it's Christy, Hector, Reem, and Brian for me. I personally wouldn't go for Christy and Brian together. And we did for this game due to the fact that Birmingham was sitting back and defending. Forest will be a different ball game. They're, they're a team that are close to us. They're going to want to win the game. I think it could be dangerous if we play both of them. I would mm. like to see Adoy come back in. I think that's why one of the reasons why he got taken off. He was already on a yellow card. I don't think Parker wanted to risk not having him for the Forest game, so I think we'll see him play. I would probably like to see Christie play over Brian for that. So I'd like to see Adoy come into left-back. With the centre-backs, I think we can keep them the same, providing Reams kind of up for it. I know he's kind of getting on a bit now. And if not, maybe time to look at bringing in Le Marchand or maybe one of the other missing men in Alfie Mawson. Let's have your score prediction, please, Stato. We have actually won two on the bounce now, which is some momentum, yeah. I want to say. I'd like us to get at least one more win against the top six side before the end of the season, aside from that one win against Leeds. I don't think it'll be pretty like we've seen earlier in the seasons. I think it's going to be more of the same of what we've seen lately. So I'm just going to say 1-0 Fulham. My thing is going to be a pretty low-scoring affair. Um, Nottingham Forest have got one of the best defences in the league. And let's face it, we haven't exactly been running away with things since the restart. So I can't see us getting many goals. And I can't imagine Nottingham Forest getting many goals either. Because as much as um, because they don't really score, they don't really score in batches in the same way we have done at various points in the season. So it's going to be a low-scoring one. I'm going to go for a one-all draw, personally. That's something I was probably going to say, but I've got a feeling, particularly after listening to Stato's stats there, that we might might just manage to get a smash and grab in the last minute. So I'm going to go 2-1 for them. 2-1 for them. All right, guys. Well, I will see you then. Thank you all for listening at home. We will be back with an instant reaction to the Nottingham Forest game where Frenchie will be hosting. And thank you very much to my co-host once again for being here for this instant reaction. If you like what you hear, please tell your friends about us. We're on Facebook, we're on Spotify, we're on all the social media outlets. And please keep tuning in. Bye for now.